Be seated. Good morning. Hey, my name is Mark. If I've not had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors on staff. I oversee our next steps, so anything groups or connection-oriented. So if you're new around here, stop me in the lobby, share your name. I'd love to just get to know you a little bit, hear a little bit about uh, your story and, and how you found this place. So a little bit about myself there. I need your help this morning filling in two statements for me, okay? Here's the first one. You are what you... Oh, some of us, I don't know. I should have drank more coffee. You are what you eat, right? We, we use that phrase. And another one is, you'll get out of something what you put into it, right? You are what you eat and you'll get out of something what you put into something. I bet you've said that countless times. And we don't literally mean we become what we eat, right? We're not gonna literally transform into a slice of pizza or a stalk of celery. Although I have my preference if I was going to become one, Right, we use that phrase and the phrase becoming, you know, what you get out of it is what you put into it. We use that really to describe kind of the way things work and that there's an input and an output. There's a relationship between what we put into something and what we get out of something. Would you agree? That's kind of a basic principle of life. Like what you put into it, you'll also get out. If I put healthy things into my body, then I should produce healthy things. I should be healthier. Right. If I put a lot into my work, if I'm uh, trying to do my best to be a good dad or a good husband, then the likelihood is there should be some positive outcomes from that. There's a relationship between what we put into something and what we get out of something. If you're new with us, we are in a series where we're looking uh, in Matthew chapter 5 at one of Jesus' first sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because he went up on a mountainside and he preached. And so it's called his Sermon on the Mount. He starts it with something we call the Beatitudes. And we've been going week by week through those, and we're gonna continue on that this morning. But here's what we've covered so far. We've talked about, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is, is to think of yourself less and to think of God more. And that when we do that, what is the outcome is that we will see the kingdom of heaven. We talked about blessed are those who mourn. And, and in this week, uh, Fitz talked about that doesn't necessarily mean being sad or crying over a tragic event. It's more an acknowledgement of the sin that has severed our relationship with Jesus. And that when we acknowledge that, he will then comfort us. And then blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I like to think of this one as like, don't flex on God. Right, he's not going to be impressed by your flexing. Right, those who are meek will inherit the earth. Fitz talked about that last week. And we're going to continue looking at another beatitude this morning, this relationship between what goes in and what comes out. And here's the one I want to talk about this morning. Blessed are those who make a lot of money, for they will have no problems. Right, blessed are those who make a lot of money, for they will have no problems. And you laugh because you know that's not in Scripture. Right, that's not real, but most of us wish it was. And most of us live that way. That really, if I could just make more money, I'd be more satisfied. I could buy the things I want. I saw a, a meme, uh, Jim Carrey recently, he said, oh, I wish everybody could get rich and famous so they could see how unproductive it is. Right, those who have it will ten generally tell you it does not purchase for you what you hope it will. This is not in scripture 
anywhere. In fact, there's probably an inverse relationship. The more money you have, the more problems you actually will have. Here's the actual beatitude we're going to talk about this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for something, for they will be satisfied. Now, don't blurt it out. If you have a neighbor, turn to them and and share with them what you think the word is that goes in that blank. Just turn to a neighbor. Ten seconds. Go. If you said righteousness, you are right. Righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Other other translations say will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I wonder, though, how many of us like to fill in that blank with a different word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for success, for they will be satisfied. Because once I get success, then I'll be full And yet, I don't know about you, the closer I feel like I get to success, the farther away it seems to travel. Because somebody else, success is relative, is it not? Someone's always ahead in the game. Some of us might put the word money in there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money, for they'll be satisfied, because then I can buy the things that I really want that will make my life easier. Some of us put the word status in there. That if I could just find status or validation, then I would be full. If people could just see me for who I am and what I can do and not overlook me, well, then I'll be satisfied. Some of us put love in there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for love, for they will be satisfied. Yet if you pursue that from an earthly perspective, it will leave you empty. Because love not connected to Christ won't last. Some of us today want to put the word acceptance in there. Those who hunger and thirst for acceptance. If I could just be accepted for who I am and how God made me and all the things that you hear. If I could just be accepted, then I would be filled. But no one's going to truly accept us like Christ. So Jesus is giving this sermon. And these people had been with him for a while. It said that they, when he saw the crowd, so it had taken time for people to kind of show up. He kind of went up on the side of the hill and he, he started to teach. And so I have to imagine these people had been hanging out for a while. And this, is, this isn't like a 30-minute sermon from Jesus. I'm assuming this was an extended time. And so when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, I wonder if they're like, I'm sensing a miracle. I'm wondering maybe if Jesus is going to divinely deliver some food. Right, because we're hungry and we're thirsty. I got a feeling they were thinking food. If he would just give us food, then we would be full. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Can you imagine being there and be like, that doesn't even make sense, Jesus. I can't eat righteousness. How can I, how can I pursue that? How can I hunger and thirst for it if I can't even consume it? Right, maybe what you really need to do is provide food. These, these are people who live in a time period where scarcity was the reality. Food was scarce. Power was scarce. Maybe they thought, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for power. See, Jesus, if you would give me power, I could affect change. And then I could satisfy a lot of people. Right? Or if I could just get this resource or this thing. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, see, they will be satisfied. They will be filled. I'm sure that was a kind of a head scratcher for his audience and maybe for you too. And so that's what I want to talk about with you today. What is righteousness? Why is hungering and thirsting for it good? And how will it even satisfy? So try to unpack what Jesus was saying to his listeners there. 
Uh, if you don't take notes during a Sunday service, I would encourage you to start that. It could be pencil and paper. You know, sometimes these things are good, but they don't often store memory real well uh, when there's a, a lot that goes on in a week, especially if you're in a small group. I would encourage you to take notes. You can text the word notes if you want a digital copy. You can have my sermon outline. It's just fill in blanks. You'll, you'll leave a winner, right? You'll leave feeling successful that, hey, I, I got the, all the blanks filled in if you need that. So you can text notes to 502 289-1387 if you want to take notes, especially if you're in a small group and you're going to meet Wednesday and Thursday and talk about what you heard. <laughs> Sunday to Wednesday can feel like an eternity depending on how your week went. And so just to, be, just to have in your mind what you need to share, I would encourage you to, to jot some things down. Hey, you know the word righteous is not necessarily a word that we use often, is it? I bet you, don't, I bet you go through most days of your life and you never use that word. You don't really hear other people using that word. Maybe some teenage boys, right, that are righteous, man, blah, blah, blah. But generally, that's not a word that we use very often. Now, parents, if you have young kids, you might hear this word if you watch Finding Nemo, right? If you, if you can hear it in your head, then you know you have young kids, right? He says it righteous over and over. That's about the only time you're really going to hear this word righteous on a regular basis. It's just not something that we use in our language much anymore. So if we got a hunger and thirst for it, let's know what it is before we go after it. So here's kind of a a simple biblical definition. To be righteous or to have righteousness is to be right with God. In other words, to be good, we got to be in right relationship with him. That's kind of a, a biblical understanding of righteousness. It means to be right, to be in good relationship, good standing with God. I have two young kids who are in elementary school, and so I get to drive them to school every morning. It's about a 12-minute drive. And we'll usually pray in there, but the majority of our drive to school is listening to my daughter talk and sing the entire way there. My son and I are usually quiet, and she fills up the space with all the noise. Don't even need the radio. And so we'll pray, and we're on our way to school. But inevitably, when I pull up to drop them off, I almost always say one of two things. Be good. Have a good day. Any other parent tell their kid that, right? You drop them off, you're like, be good today, have a good day. What am I really saying? Get back in this car the same way you're getting out. Not with a note from the teacher, not with an email, not with a phone call from the principal that I gotta deal with, right? Get back in the car as good as you're getting out of the car. That's an imperfect picture, but a little bit of an illustration of what it means to be in right relationship with God, right? That we are good, that we we are right in his eyes. It's kind of maybe a way to think about that. By the way, uh, when you were in school, you probably learned a poem by a man named Robert Frost. Even that name maybe rings some bells. Some of you are like, I'm sure they taught it. I can't remember it, right? But he said, I was in the woods and two roads diverged and I took the one less traveled and it has made all the difference. Sadly, Robert Frost probably plagiarized that because Jesus said this. He said in Matthew, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, when we come to trying to be right with God, there's really kind of two paths to getting right with God. There's the path that we can choose and try to make it right through our own efforts, And then there's another path that is more narrow, but will lead to life 
and bring satisfaction? Which road do you think we tend to take most often? When it comes to trying to get right with God, if we're gonna try to get in right relationship with him, do you think we tend to take a narrow road that really leads to life or do you think we just take the road that everybody else takes? We're like, well, that must be the way to go. And Jesus says, that road will lead you to destruction, but the road I show you will lead to life. You see, the wide path, the wide road for us is self-righteousness. That basically, when we think about being right with God, our first instinct will be to do it ourselves. Any DIYers in the room, you like, you love to do everything. I'm not gonna buy that. I can make it myself for cheaper. We kind of apply that sometimes to our faith. I don't necessarily need Jesus. I'll just, I'll just buckle down and do the right things. I'll just work hard and I'll make myself right in God's eyes. That's, the Bible refers to that as kind of self-righteousness. When you think that your efforts and your good work will lead you into right relationship with God. And it's a wide path. Many people have tried it and most have failed because it's a path that leads to destruction. Now don't, don't jab anybody in the rib. Don't point fingers at them. Do you know any self-righteous people? Sure you do, right? They're the people you're like, they're great in small doses. But yeah, prolonged period with those people and they're sort of nauseating, aren't they? Right, because you just can't, you don't know anything. They know it all. They've been there, they've done that and they've one up to you. Right? Self-righteousness isn't sweet. It's kind of sour. In fact, Jesus has some strong language when he talks about people who have pursued self-righteousness. Listen to what he says here in Matthew. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I said they were nauseating. He said they smell like death. The self-righteousness smells like death, like destruction, like a path that is leading nowhere. And yet so many of us will walk it, trying to get right with God on our own. He goes, Jesus goes on. He says this in Matthew, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Jesus says that self-righteousness smells like death and is a ticket on the highway to you know where. That it's not going to lead you to anywhere healthy. That's some pretty extreme language, don't you think? And and I don't know about you, but it feels wrong because isn't the Christian life about doing good things? Like we want to be good people, to better the world around us, to, to take care of our families, to support our wives or our spouses, to, to be good employees, to pay our taxes, to do the good things. We are called to do good things. The problem becomes when we think that that's gonna earn us some sort of credit with God. When we think our works will flex on God, that is a problem. He says it stinks because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, but we are still called to do good. In fact, scripture says it, right? In Proverbs, it says, the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Keep doing good things. If you hear me today and you're like, hey, I don't have to do anything good anymore. You heard the wrong message, right? Keep doing good, but don't rely on that to make you right with God because it won't. 
it can't. And so why would Jesus speak so harshly about self-righteousness when it seems to be that we should pursue righteousness? Maybe to illustrate this a little bit, Amy and I just finished up a show we were watching, and one of the main characters was really sick. She was a teenage girl, very sick. And the parents had gone to doctor after doctor and specialist after specialist, had all the tests ran, spent all their money, leveraged everything they had to try and take care of their daughter, right, to do the right things. And the doctors could not explain why this girl was sick. There was no medical explanation. As the story unfolds, you begin to learn that actually a family member had been poisoning her. Oh, you're like, that's really terrible, right? That's dramatic, but that's what was happening. They had just been poisoning her little bit by little bit, deteriorating her health, but, but nobody could understand why. You see, friends, you and I are like that. We have a poison in us that will destroy us. Scripture calls that sin. The sin poisons us. And you can do all the right things, right? That little girl could have eaten the right foods. She could have gone for a run every day. She could have said some prayers, but it wouldn't have cured the poison that was destroying her. Self-righteousness is our attempt to cure what is incurable in our own efforts. We cannot cure our own sin. Only Jesus can cure the sin that is in us. He's the only one that can take it away. And so self-righteousness is our attempt to cure ourselves. And so Jesus says, that's not the path to life. That's a path to destruction because you don't have that power. Only I do. And so Jesus talks sharply about it, not necessarily to condemn, but to warn us. And whoa, wait a minute. Think about what you're doing. You're trying to earn your own ticket to heaven. You're trying to earn your right standing with me but it won't work because you've got a disease that has to be cured. So doing all the right things is not going to make up for that. Jesus is saying, that won't work. That won't work. Self-righteousness is not the cure to our illness. I'll tell you another story. A few weeks ago, I guess couple months ago, my family and I, we went south, we went to Atlanta for a trip and we found this place and we were researching and they were like, we got to stop here. It's in Georgia. It's called the largest and oldest junkyard in America. Some of you are like, that sounds horrible, right? But my son and I love cars. It's like seven acres of junk cars from the twenties all the way up through the nineties when they stopped taking in new cars. I mean, we walked and walked. My son loved it. Here's a picture of him. He found an old Mustang with the license plate that says, Jesus Christ is the answer. Right, that's fantastic. You find that in the junkyard. Now, my daughter did not have the same feelings about this trip. She said, right before that picture, she said, are we gonna walk until we die like all these cars? I mean, she was miserable, miserable. Here's the truth for you. Our self-righteousness is like a junkyard. It's just rusting relics of our past efforts. It's not taking us anywhere. It's just a shrine to what used to be. See, our self-righteousness is like a junkyard, rusting relics of our past. It won't earn us anything. It won't take us anywhere because we're dying on the inside and there's only one way to be brought to life. So friend, if your faith, if your fulfillment in life, if your satisfaction of life hinges on your ability to be good, that's exhausting. That's not satisfying. That's just plain exhausting. 
like a hamster on a wheel that just keeps running. You're trying to do the right things and you're just exhausted. Or maybe you're anxious or you're depressed or you're nervous or you're numb or worse, you're self-important and puffed up because somehow you think your junkyard is better than another man's junkyard. It's still junk that doesn't serve a purpose. So here's where we are right now. Let me summarize what I've said so far. We are poisoned by sin. There's no way around that. To be alive is to be sinful. You have sinned. We've all fallen short. Self-righteousness is our attempt to cure that by doing good things to put us in right standing with God. But the problem is we cannot cure our disease. And so therefore, it's not satisfying. It's debilitating. And it's a path to destruction. And Jesus says, listen, you don't have to take that path. There are two, two roads. One is wide and a lot of people are going to try to fix their lives on their own and do the right things and try to be right with God. And he's like, but listen, there's another way. It's much more narrow, but it leads to life. It leads to satisfaction, knowing that you're going the right way. And so maybe you came in today thinking, well, I wasn't hoping to hear another message on sin. If you've been with us, Fitz has talked about, you know, we're talking about sin a lot. Jesus is talking about it. We're just sharing what he is sharing. And you're, you thought, maybe I want to be uplifted today. I want to be told something that's good, not kind of drilled farther down. But you see, we have to start here. We have to know that we have sin in us that has to be removed. We cannot do it alone. And if we try, we'll destroy ourselves. We'll destroy ourselves. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen. There's another path. And so, so the verse I want to share with you should be the greatest news of all time and should lift you up today. You see, it comes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? Righteousness of God. Do you see it? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God. Jesus took the sin, took that poison, he ingested it, and he nailed it to the cross, and he buried it in a grave. And in exchange, we get his life for our sin. We call that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he gives us our, our life both now and forever if we would surrender to him and be forgiven of our sin and follow him on the narrow path that leads to life, not the path of destruction. See, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. You see, true righteousness comes through faith in Christ, not through our own works. True righteousness comes from faith in Christ, not through our own works. Jesus is the narrow path, friends. He is the narrow path and he says, few will find it, few will really walk the path, but those who do, they will find life both now and forever. See, it's in Jesus that we find our satisfaction. That's where we find our success. It's not in what we've done, but in what he has done for us. It's where we find our value, not in our own self-worth and our own works, but in who he is and who he says we is. It's where we find our worth and our peace and our hope and our freedom and our rest. Friends, he is the narrow path that will lead to life and thus will satisfy us, not the wide path of destruction that we so often want to walk. Jesus says, you hunger and thirst for that, you'll find satisfaction. 
So might I encourage you, if you're feeling stressed or numb or anxious or depressed or defeated, might I encourage you not to just try to stuff more good things to make yourself feel better. Encourage you instead to surrender that to Jesus and let him through you bring you satisfaction. And by extension, show others what that looks like. That's the picture. You see, the greatest satisfaction you will find in life is knowing you are right with God. The greatest satisfaction you will find in life is knowing you are right with God. It's not having more money. It's not having more power. It's not having more fame. It's not having more status or more influence. It's knowing that you are right with God, that you're good with God. Not because of something you've done, but because of what Christ did for you. I want to share a scripture with you that I think illustrates this perfectly. Paul is reflecting on his life. He's writing to the church at Philippi, some of the the followers there. And listen to what he writes. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a lot of self-righteousness. Sounds like a lot of puffed-upness, like my life was good because I was doing all the right things. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now remember, he's reflecting back on his life. This was a previous man. That guy's name was Saul before his conversion, before he met Jesus. He was full of self-righteousness. And his eternity was, was determined by how good he was. And listen to what he says now after he's met Jesus. He said, I once, I once thought those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, as junk so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, no. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. You and I cannot save ourselves. You and I cannot do enough good things to make up for the sin that has severed our relationship with God. And self-righteousness is the wide path of destruction that tries to make us right with God, but in the end, won't lead us where we want to go. And Jesus says, I am the narrow way. Hunger and thirst for me, and you will be satisfied because you'll be right with God. Because I, Jesus said, I am perfect, and I will lay down my life for my friends, and you'll find life in me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be filled. On your way in, you, re, you picked up some communion items. You can take those out now. We're gonna enter into a time of communion. And as we do, let me, let me share a few thoughts, maybe some decisions you can make kind of based on what we've talked about. For some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time, maybe decades. You surrendered to Jesus in baptism, but maybe you never really surrendered 
the thinking that you got to do it all right all the time. That, you, that somehow you've got to attain perfection through your own works. And what you found is actually the Christian life is more of a burden than a blessing. It feels heavy and weighty. That's not what Christ wants to put on us. He says his burden is light. That he wants to take that from us, to take that thinking that we have to do all the right things to be good with him and instead say, just follow me and live in me. And there you will find rest. Surrendering is important. What, we had uh, two individuals last hour, Jennifer and Tyler, who were baptized. And they made a first step in following Jesus, but that's not where it stops. Jesus says, for those who want to follow me, they have to daily pick up their cross. Meaning they have to daily surrender themselves to me, to lay down their lives and to follow me. And for some of us, that means to lay down our tendency to, towards self-righteousness and instead rest in him. And maybe some of you have never done that. You don't know what it feels like to live a life that's light and free and purposeful and joyful and satisfied. Jesus calls it the abundant life because you've never truly surrendered to him. You're still carrying around the poison of your sin and it's destroying you. I'd encourage you to release that. I'd encourage you to surrender that to Jesus. We do that in, in baptism where we lay down our lives and we're cleansed and brought up new. And then we can live knowing that we're in right relationship with God and therefore we can do things not so that we become good, but because of the goodness that flows through us to others. I'm gonna pray and then you'll have time to take communion. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the truth that you so loved us that you gave your one and only son and that if we would choose him, we would have life. We would be satisfied. We would be filled. God, the greatest satisfaction that you give us in life is knowing that we are right with you and knowing that, yes, even though we mess up and we're gonna fall backwards and we're gonna stumble, that you're still with us. And you don't see us as failures. You see us through your son, Jesus, who was victorious over sin and death. So God, I pray for those of us who follow you that we would surrender we would surrender our instincts to try to make faith about us and do all the right things to, to honor you and instead just rest in you knowing that you already see us as right through your son, Jesus, and let that motivate us toward good works. And I pray for those who, who are hearing this sort of good news for the first time that, that they would respond to that, that they would seek you and a relationship with you to surrender follow you because when we do we will find life it's in Jesus name we pray amen take communion and be filled